the Clixie podcast with Tim Flagg. Insight, opinion and advice from the leading practitioners in digital marketing and e-commerce. I think that brands are really keen to connect the dots between their social marketing and sales. Um, and they can see that consumers are warming up to the idea of shopping through social. This is the Clixie podcast. I'm going to be talking to our special guest, Tessa Weggett, about content marketing and finding out which trends she is excited about in 2016. But before we begin, a quick word about the report. As a marketing practitioner, I know how difficult it is to make sure you are up to date on the latest trends in digital marketing. If you want to read one comprehensive and in-depth report filled with insights from expert practitioners, then check out the ClickZ Intelligence Digital Trends 2016 report. Bringing together the expertise of 40 leading practitioners and industry commentators, the ClickZ Intelligence Digital Trends 2016 report is the comprehensive guide to the digital marketing and e-commerce trends that you need to know about for the year ahead. If there's one report you read this month, make sure it is the ClickZ Intelligence Digital Trends report. Visit clickz.com forward slash digital trends 2016 UK report to download the full report for free. That's clickz.com forward slash digital trends 2016 UK report. So I'd like to welcome you to the Clickz Digital Podcast and welcome our guest today, Tessa Weggert. She's a business and tech reporter, former media strategist and branded content developer. She contributes to such publications as Business Insider, Adweek and Contently's The Content Strategist. So it's great to have Tessa here. She's also been one of the experts who's contributed to the Clixie Intelligence Digital Trends Report. So I'd like to say hello to Tessa. Thank you so much, Tim. Hello to you too. I'm happy to be here. It's great to uh, to have you uh, here on the podcast. Um, and it would be really great to hear a little bit about you. Maybe find out um, how you got into marketing, how you got into the particular area you're working on now, um, and what your area of expertise is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I maybe came to this in a bit of a different way than a lot of people do. Uh, so I'm happy to give you a bit of background story. But so uh, my education is in communications and English literature. And I started working in media uh, right from the get-go out of school, um, but started on the print side. So I worked as a um, kind of advertising coordinator for uh, quite some time for a couple of Canadian fashion magazines. I um, am originally from Montreal. So uh, while I was working there, I did a lot of kind of ad pagination and really the old school uh, print stuff. And then this opportunity came up with a digital agency. So this was around maybe 2000. All of a sudden, I found myself in uh, digital advertising. And I remember I had only been with the agency for, must have only been about a month or a couple of weeks when I uh, ended up going uh, with them to Internet World in New York at the Javits Center. So again, this is, I think, around 2000. And I remember just being completely overwhelmed. I was so new to the industry. Everything was moving really fast. But I, I think I knew right at that point that this is where I wanted to be. There was so much exciting stuff going on. And it's really amazing to me now to think so many years later how much things have changed, even you know, considering how progressive it all seemed back then. And do you remember some of the things that were exciting back in 2000? I'm trying to cast my mind back to <laughs> that same period and the type of uh, cell phones that which you know felt so modern then, but actually now you look back and they're so out of date. But w- nice. what memories do you have from that time? Yeah, I mean, it was really all about paid search 
around then, um, especially for our agency, because we were a, a web development agency, but we also did a lot of marketing and everyone was talking about paid search. I mean, there was banner advertising too, expandable banners. What um, uh, some people have called interstitial banners, but they are, and that's kind of an outdated term for them too. But at the time, it was really exciting because we were seeing them, you know, take over the homepage of these sites uh, like AOL. But it was paid search primarily um, at the time. It was companies like GoTo.com, uh, which became Overture, um, Mama.com, which uh, was big in Canada. So now, so many Ask Ask.com, Ask Jeeves, it was called back then. So so many of these sites have had just done a complete about face or no longer even exist anymore. So that is remarkable. I mean, it is, you know, we're talking about a fair number of years here, but uh, it, it really is amazing how quickly things change. Absolutely. And one of the things I'm really glad we don't have to spend so much time discussing is interstitial ads. I remember that word. Um, <laughs> it was and in so fact, cumbersome. I'm sort of risking death almost by kind of mentioning it on a podcast because it's one of those words. They always used to um, tease me in the office by making me say strategic interstitials because it was so difficult. <laughs> such a mouthful. <laughs> Yeah, but, that's uh, a tricky one. But there we go. But um, so you were there sort of almost at the beginning um, or, or when the sort of dot-com boom happened and when the, a lot was changing within the, the internet industry and, you know, mentioned search and how that started. But now tell us a little bit about what happened next in your um, career. So story. at that point, you know, I was brought on uh, as kind of a junior media buyer and uh, did a lot of paid search and then started doing some ad copywriting. And that was really where I think my passion lay was with the writing of it. And that is still the majority of what I'm doing today. Um, and so a couple opportunities popped up while I was there to contribute kind of on the agency's behalf, these thought leadership pieces to some of the local newspapers. And then through that opportunity, um, I came to start writing for ClickZ. So I've actually been a columnist for ClickZ for going on uh, just about 14 years now. Um, first as the uh, uh, media planning and buying columnist, and then now I do a lot more marketing strategy type of stories. But um, And then in the process, ended up uh, just kind of branching out on my own and doing freelance tech and business reporting for all the big Canadian newspapers, the Globe and Mail, the National Post, um, the Montreal Gazette, of course, because I was based in Montreal at the time. Um, and then the other thing that kind of, I think, defined the, f the future direction of my career, looking back, especially now, um, was that I started to write and edit uh, one of the pretty early online brand magazines, um, it was a project that the agency was working on and it was for uh, Procter & Gamble Canada. So uh, so that also gave me an opportunity to start writing branded content. So I started to move in that direction a little bit away from ad copywriting, although I did still do some of that, um, more to branded content and then ultimately to what's kind of the precursor to the native advertising that we um we see so much of today it feels like there's a there's a, a really creative side to your ground there and you talked a lot about the writing um but also um sounds like there's a that's the performance side bringing together the data and the analytics is that something that you you found is quite a, a unique combination in advertising yeah absolutely i mean as much as I would like to say, because I do a lot of fiction writing too, and so the creative aspect of, of marketing and the storytelling aspect is really what appeals to me most, but as much as I would like to say that uh, I had complete freedom uh, and that brands do today to just write whatever we feel uh, is you know, the best tone of voice for the brand, the best story that the brand has to tell, that the most compelling story, 
a lot of it does depend on the data and you know what we know about what customers and prospects are looking for. So that did play a part. Um, and now the type of writing that I do today, uh, fortunately, I guess for me, a lot of that data is, uh, has already been, um, compiled and fleshed out. So when assignments come to me now, um, the brands typically say, you know, this, we know exactly what we're looking for and we know exactly the tone and the direction. So have at it, which makes my job quite a bit easier as a content developer today. So maybe we could get on to a little bit about some of the projects you're working on at the moment to, to bring us right up to date. Could you tell us about um, what you're currently working on? Sure. So um, about two years ago, I kind of joined forces with Contently, which um, has had a great run over the last few years. I started writing branded content through them for a number of different companies, some of them brands, some of them publications. So I write pretty regularly for Business Insider and Advertising Week, but I also write for brands like Shutterstock, HubSpot, uh, Rubicon Project, which acquired Chango. Uh, recently, I was writing for Chango before that. They have a branded magazine, so I would produce some of the content for the branded magazine about programmatic marketing. Um, and then I also uh, kind of independent of, con of Contently write for uh, Adweek sponsored content and branded content projects. Um, so for example, I did a piece not too long ago about experiential marketing that was sponsored by a, new, a number of experiential marketing companies. So for that, you know, I... I did a lot of industry research, spoke with experts on the subject, um, and drew from my own experience covering experiential marketing over the years, but also spoke with um, the sponsors and worked some of their projects and campaigns into the story. So, um, and then in addition to that, I do still write for the content strategist, which is Contently's um, kind of uh, trade publication that reports on industry news, content marketing industry news, um, as well as Contently's quarterly print magazine. Um, and then for Contently also, I end up doing a lot of ebooks uh, more and more lately. So for example, I did one recently on the state of content marketing in the UK, um, and I'm working on one right now about luxury brand content marketing. So it's really an interesting mix. And for me as a writer, it's exciting because no two projects are alike. And I have the opportunity to work with so many different brands um, that otherwise I may not have access to and I, I may not ever uh, have a chance to really um, get to know. I bet you get to ask lots of fantastic questions to the brand owners which normally people wouldn't be able to get in and ask those. Yeah it's nice I kind of have an inside track and I'm able to get you know straight to the marketing directors, the CEO, the presidents of these companies and find out what's really driving them, what's uh, motivating them to do these projects and what's really behind the strategy which yeah you're absolutely right you don't necessarily get a lot of opportunities to do that. And if there was one area that you would say is your area of expertise, what would that be? I would just say the storytelling side of things, I guess, because the writing is so interesting to me. And as I said, you know, I do a lot of fiction as well. I mean, that's what's that's what really drives me. I like to talk to these brands and then identify the kernel of, of truth and the thing that really differentiates them from their competitors. And there are so many great heritage stories, for example, with these companies, so much great background information. Um, so I like to dig deep uh, into that and then see how I can kind of translate that into an interesting narrative that will resonate with their audiences. Um, because, I mean, the, the fact is the Internet environment, especially when it comes to content, is so cluttered right now. It used to be that everyone was just concerned about ad clutter. 
there's an immense amount of content clutter out there right now too as more and more brands invest in things like magazines and blogs and uh you know podcasts. just podcasts exactly <laughs> whatever they have going on so it's really difficult for brands to differentiate themselves and i think the way that they're finding to do it and the the way that the place where they're having a lot of success especially over this last year and i think we're going to see more of it in 2016 is with brand storytelling because this is something that i mean stories really appeal to human human nature you know we're interested in finding out things we're interested in hearing kind of how companies originated and and where they got to where they are today and so that has been uh, fascinating for me to be able to just figure out how to tell these stories in a way that serves the brand's marketing needs and meets their objectives, um, but also resonates with customers and engages them enough to not only in, you know, incite some kind of response, but also keep them reading or keep them listening the entire way through. Really looking forward to digging into some of these stories a little bit later. Just wanted to pick up on what you said there about the storytelling and, and, and how important that is to us as human beings. Um, I've been reading some fascinating articles looking at the way in which our brains have actually evolved. And they, they find that um, this, the ability to be able to tell a story, um, they think, has helped the brain develop to keep us together within our, our social groups. And so it's been fundamental to our evolution. So it's almost no wonder now that we're, we're suddenly finding out, hey, you know what, stories are really important to advertising and marketing because we're just really tapping into that, that almost primeval need that we have to, to tell stories and to keep our, our communities together. Right, and that really incorporates this whole concept of the brand tribe, which I think is a lot of what you're referring to as well. I mean, storytelling creates an immense opportunity for brands to kind of activate and engage their tribes, the, the fans, the loyal customers that want to know more about the brand because they're passionate about the brand and also want great content to be able to share because, of course, as we know, when consumers share something, it's not just a reflection of what they're sharing. It's a reflection on themselves as well. So the, the more interesting content that they can, they can find to share about the brands that they have a, a personal interest in uh, the better it is for brands because that's more of their content uh, out there, you know, with the the influential fans, the social influ influencers and the brand advocates and ambassadors that really uh, drive exposure and reach for them. Talking about more broadly content marketing and the role that has to play for, for marketing and, and for advertisers. What would your advice be to somebody looking at the the whole area of content marketing? Is it a good area to be getting into? What skills do you need to have and, and, and what would your advice be? Um, yes, it is a good area to be getting into, um, primarily because there, I think right now, is a bit of a shortage of, of talent, especially when it comes to brand branded content developers, uh, which is why companies like Contently are, of course, doing so well. But a lot of brands, I think, as they realize the importance of investing in quality content, because that's really what's going to set them apart. It's not just the stories that they have to tell, it's the caliber of the content that they're uh, producing and putting out there. I think they're realizing, you know, what they really need, it's not, I think it used to be more common. Uh, it definitely used to be more common for brands to uh, keep that kind of work in-house because I think they figured their marketing teams could produce whatever content they needed. Their marketing teams were kind of steeped in the company culture. They knew uh, more than anyone else about what was required, but the marketing teams didn't necessarily have the, the you know, journalistic background or the writing 
uh, expertise to be able to translate um, the you know the brand philosophy or the core tenets and the values into something that people actually would want to read. So now what's happening is brands are realizing they need to have um, editors, you know, veteran editors from the publishing world who uh, who understand this type of content. Because really, this type of content is not so different from any type of editorial content. The, the point is, you want to make it interesting. You want to engage readers. It kind of doesn't matter if it's written, uh, if it's published by a, a magazine, an independent magazine, or by by a brand publisher in terms of the content itself. Um, but that creates a lot of opportunities for branded content developers, um, writers, marketers who are interested in this kind of work, because because uh, there are so many companies out there who are looking for talented people who can, uh, I think, get up to speed really quickly and have enough experience writing branded content for other, for other brands and other companies that they know, uh, they know the drill, they know what's required, and then they can just familiarize themselves with, you know, whatever brand they're currently working with and then produce something really quickly and on an ongoing basis because, of course, that's the other issue is that it has to be, uh, content marketing has to be sustainable. So especially for something like a blog, it's not going to make sense to hire a freelancer kind of on a one-off basis because you need to have someone on staff or at least readily available at all times to keep producing this content and to keep producing good content because that's what you're promising your customers and that's what they're expecting moving forward. And it's often the case that you need to invest quite a bit of time into things like blogs before you start to see the returns on them because of things like SEO, discoverability, etc. Just coming back to the specific skills as well, it strikes me that there's almost three different levels of skill you need to to work in content marketing. There's the storytelling side. There's also something like the technical ability. More and more, the content uh, marketing managers now are required to, to be able to use the, the software, whether it be basic CMSs or Google Analytics or another piece of editing software, that kind of thing. And then there's also the, the sort of analytics bit where they're required to you know write reports and set KPIs and measure everything they're doing. Yeah, it's definitely important to um, to understand the platforms and uh, and be able to use them uh, you know as as you need to use them. But uh, in addition to that, I would say a really important thing is just to know how to work in the keyword marketing aspect of things because that is still, especially when it comes to blogging makes a huge difference. And if you look objectively at the content that's out there, especially blog content, a lot of what is being produced is still, it just reads very dry and choppy because somebody has made an effort, probably somewhat of a misguided effort in a lot of cases, to incorporate all of the brand's top keywords and top key phrases uh, you know, early on in the story. But that is easier said than done because the story itself doesn't end up reading like editorial content. It ends up reading like something that was created by an automated system or a robot that is now writing news stories. I mean, it's 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 similar when you look at what uh, what is out there. So that's another thing I think that if you're a branded content developer and you're looking to to determine where you should be focusing your time and energy, um, just kind of practicing up on that is a good idea. Yeah. 
and I think just picking up on something you said before there really has been an evolution of both social media and content marketing within the organization I think going back a few years it was seen as something quite junior it was often an intern or you know someone quite junior in the organization because they had a Facebook account whereas now it's being recognized as being critical to customer service as well as getting real deep insight into into customers uh, and as a consequence there are more senior people coming in um, that sort of independence and experience is really vital to being able to make blogs and all content succeed being able to have the the knowledge that you know what's going to connect with your audience irrespective of trying to um, stuff keywords in it or um, seeing it um, die the death of a thousand cuts by putting it through an approval ladder etc mm-hmm. but now I just want to move on to um, uh, looking back a little bit at 2015, can you remember what um, you thought was going to be big in 2015? Did it come to pass? Was there something that, that didn't happen that you thought was going to happen? <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the year, um, I remember thinking something big is about to happen with um, live streaming video because we had Periscope and Meerkat kind of crop up and um, it all just ramped up so quickly, that space, I think. I mean, all of a sudden, they were reporting these these huge um, audience numbers, and then we were seeing major, major brands like GE and Smart Car and uh, St. Germain all of a sudden coming up with these really inventive Meerkat and Periscope campaigns. And I think... You know, as I kind of sat back and watched this all unfold, I I honestly really wondered if it was going to be a bit of a fad because the brands that were signing on um, are brands that are known to be early adopters, especially GE. I mean, GE has its hands in all of the cookie jars. It's um, amazingly innovative when it comes to digital media. It, no matter what is going on, GE is there. GE is doing it well. Um, and coming up with a you know really interesting content for every platform and channel, but at the same time, not all of those platforms and channels um, prove that fruitful. So I did wonder whether this was going to be something that we'd see kind of fizzle out, and it hasn't. I mean, as the year went on, even still now, a lot of brands are using um, both of those platforms to connect with consumers and to create and offer this exclusive live content. And I think what it's shown us is that consumers really are, they will go out of their way to find interesting brand content and they will engage with it, um, whether it's short form, long form, video, written content, whatever the case may be. Um, but what's so interesting about the live streaming is that, as I said, it's it's exclusive. It's not something that brands or that uh, consumers and brand audiences can find anywhere else. So again, you've got these brand tribes, these, uh, these advocates that are really looking for, actively looking for more content from their favorite brands. Um, but those are the types of people that also tend to be open to new experiences. So it's this kind of um, perfect storm of opportunity for marketers because that allows them to come up with some really interesting content. Like in the case of GE, they did this drone week where they had um, they were filming footage of drones uh, kind of exploring their different facilities all over the U.S., um, their factories, you know, their turbines and whatnot. And that content was so interesting, especially because it wove in the whole drone thing, which everybody is still fascinated with, I think. Yeah, you know, Father Christmas didn't bring me one of those this year. Uh, so that that ended up being a really interesting campaign. It got a ton of media coverage and it got a lot of views, too, because it was something that, 
you know, offered interesting and totally unique content that wasn't available anywhere else. And a question for you then about the content which these brands are creating. When you see them creating it via something like a Periscope platform, do you feel that they're sacrificing some of the the quality? Um, the, the videos I've seen there, you know, they, they're from a from an iPhone or from an Android phone, and they're a bit jerky. They're a bit pixelated. The sound's not great. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think what brands are choosing to do, which makes a lot of sense, is not uh, worry too much about quality on platforms like that, but instead focus on ramping up the quality elsewhere, like with their long form content. Um, like native ad pieces that, uh, like, for example, what Netflix has produced um, in conjunction with Wired or what different brands like Cole Haan are doing with the New York Times. If, if you're investing uh, in quality content elsewhere, where it really, I think, matters more because long-form content and native ads like that, they really have to, uh, they have to appear authentic and they have to really ring true to the reader um, and that requires a lot of journalistic abilities to to get to that point. Um, it's kind of okay for the content that is uh, more mobile based to be have a little less focus on quality. And actually, I'm seeing a lot of brands kind of embrace that. Like with Saint Germain, they did this whole peep show themed campaign, which um, kind of played up the sexy aspect of the brand and of the liqueur. But um, but it did come off as very kind of grainy and uh, low quality, um, but that almost made it feel more authentic, I think. And the same can be said of GE with its drones. So I don't think that's something that's going to limit brands, really. I mean, SmartCar did a new model unveiling on Meerkat that was, uh, that was really interesting, too. And yeah, it definitely had the quality of being, you know, one guy with, uh, with a with a cell phone, kind of taking this taking this behind the scenes video, but that's what behind the scenes video is supposed to be. It's supposed to be kind of a rough cut. So no, I don't know that I I, I don't think that that's going to limit brands. I think if anything, they should kind of, uh, as I said, embrace that as an opportunity to inform what you know, inform the type of content um, and inspire a campaign yeah. that kind of lends itself well to that. So thanks for sharing your trends there, Tessa. It's been fascinating to hear all of those different areas that you have been working on and, and some of the brands that you shared with us then. Now I'd like to look forward to 2016. What trend are you most excited about in this coming year and why? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of them, but uh, the, the place that I'm really going to be watching, the space that I'm going to be looking at, I think is brand magazines, um, mainly because uh, this is something that we also saw in 2015 and I think is going to expand in the year to come. But um, we saw a lot of really... Uh, major brands invest in both print and digital magazines. So Airbnb came out with Pineapple. We had Uber launch its Momentum magazine for its drivers. Um, everything that has kind of come to, to pass on the brand magazine front has been of such good quality uh, and such high caliber Marriott with its Traveler magazine. So this is interesting to me because, again, it taps into the whole storytelling trend. Um, but it also indicates that brands are recognizing that consumers are still willing to uh, take a look at longer form content because so much of what we see 
Um, and I mean, a perfect example of that is, is with the live streaming is really short form. I mean, Vine is still big. Instagram video is still big. Facebook videos tend to be rather short as well. Um, and, and then even on YouTube, but, but more and more we're seeing that brands are kind of taking an opposite approach and producing this long form content that is, uh, is really interesting and really offers something that, that consumers can't get somewhere else. And I think what that shows us is that consumers are, are they're really okay with branded content. They're fine with sponsored content as long as they get something out of it. Um, so, you know, brands are kind of the facilitators. They're underwriting it. They're making it available. Um, often it doesn't really incorporate the brand or the product all that much at all. In the case of Marriott, you know, what they're focusing on with a lot of their branded content um, is the cities in which their hotels are based rather than the hotels themselves. They rarely ever mention anything about what their hotels have to offer or any yeah. of their kind of differentiating features. What they do instead is try to inspire people to want to travel because at that point, you know, the hope is that consumers will keep that brand top of mind when they go to actually book a hotel. But the, but the content is just great travel content, and it's competing with Travel and Leisure and all of the other travel magazines, um, but it's branded content. And the same is true of Airbnb. I mean, so Pineapple Magazine uh, is available to, uh, to consumers who actually stay in Airbnb rentals, um, but it's, uh, they make some of it available online too, and it's really just great travel content that it, that it provides a lot of useful information for travelers. So that's what I'm kind of looking forward to seeing more of in the year to come. Really interesting to hear that um, magazines are making a comeback. And are you seeing those journalists and those publishers now moving across and getting more involved in some of these in-house magazines? Yeah, I mean, it's created a lot of opportunities for people in the publishing industry because I think there were a lot of cuts um, and then a lot of editors kind of found themselves at um, you know loose ends trying to figure out what to do next, but but brands like Marriott are hiring editorial directors who have come from you know magazines like like Variety and Vanity Fair. I mean, all of these editors have a whole new wealth of opportunity available to them with with branded content, and so too do the writers. Because um, because these brands are also investing in journalists and bringing people on who were are, are veteran journalists, are veteran reporters, have been around the block, have done it all over the years for uh, on the print side for print publications, and now have an opportunity to do it in, for branded content too. And I think that also speaks to the quality of the branded content because you know coming from the the reporting and journalism side as well myself. I can tell you not a lot of journalists are going to be comfortable uh, writing for a brand unless they feel that the content is kind of worth their time and energy. I mean, it has to be high quality content. It cannot just come off as a pitch because this is, you know, your reputation as a journalist. You don't want to be associated with a with a brand that's just always doing this hard sell, but um, but the content is so good and the brands are so invested and dedicated to making it good and keeping it good that we're seeing this this mass exodus, I think, from from the print publishing side to branded to the branded content space, where there are uh, so many brands that are willing to bring people on board because they know that these are great storytellers. So now looking at other things that you're excited about in 2016, what are some other trends that maybe you think are going to be big this year that you wanted to share with us? 
Yeah. So I think um, social shopping is definitely one of them and social e-commerce um, with Instagram launching its shop now button and uh, and buy buttons on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest. I mean, this is still very much at the exper- experiential um, experimental stage, but I think that brands are really keen to connect the dots between their social marketing and sales. Um, and they can see that consumers are warming up to the idea of shopping through social. Um, and then, you know, similarly, you've got tools like Shazam, which retailers like Target are using to incite these immediate mobile sales. So, you know, as a consumer... Um, I can kind of appreciate the convenience of this. I think a lot of people can. I mean, if you're on your mobile and your mobile is your ha- in your hand and you see an ad for something that you know you need and uh, and need fast, it's very convenient to just buy it on the spot and I'd be very inclined to make that buy. But of course, this isn't the right fit for every brand. And I, I think it's, um, it's, it's kind of amazing how many really tentative, uh, internet shoppers there are still out there, people who are nervous just even about putting their credit card information online, let alone ever buying anything through their mobile phone. So there is a barrier to entry for sure. But brands that um, know that they appeal to a younger audience, a millennial or Gen X audience, they, uh, they'll want to look at these tools, I think, and, and we'll definitely see them exploring and experimenting with these in the year to come because there is an opportunity here. It's not going to replace their current revenue stream um, it's not going to replace, you know, desktop e-commerce or anything anytime soon. But I think it really appeals to the kind of fast-paced, on-demand want and need, wants and needs of a lot of um, modern-day consumers. Now, a bit of a tangent, but I noticed you called it a mobile phone. Then uh, was that for our benefit, or is that a term which is being adopted more in the US now? Because it always used to be cell phone. Yeah, it always did used to be cell phone. Now it's either smartphone or mobile. Um, really? Mobile more and more, I think, um, from what I'm seeing. I think because because in the industry we talk about them as mobile devices so much, which yeah. also encompasses tablets, obviously. But, um, but yeah, so no, I mean, I think because the term mobile has come to mean so much more than just the phone itself. It's the mobile mm. web. It's mobile apps. Um, we are, in the U.S., I think, using it more and more. Great. You never know. They might be start to see use appearing in words like color, you know, and things like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And do you have any um, advice for our listeners who maybe want to find out more about what you've been talking about? We've talked a lot about content and we've also talked about social. What are the resources that you use to stay ahead and up to date with news in this area? Yeah, I mean, um, there are so many great trade publications. Clixi obviously is at the forefront. Um, and I would also, obviously, I'm a bit biased, but I would say Contently's content strategist, especially for content marketing information, is a great source because it's really, um, Contently really stays on top of all of the current trends and what brands are doing. As soon as there's any kind of new brand magazine, they're on top of it, they're reporting on it, they're, they're speaking with the brand about um, you know the motivation behind it. So, you know, on Twitter which I still think is the absolute best source for information for anything. And actually, that's a huge opportunity, too, I should mention, for um, for anyone interested in getting more involved in the content marketing space or even just in the digital marketing industry in general, because I, I honestly have to say probably a third of the opportunities that came my way over the last year were through Twitter, just through contacts that I'd made there or because someone had seen you know something that they thought was valuable that I had tweeted about. Um, so that's a that's also a great place to it's a great place to make connections and network, but it's also um, a good resource for just finding out what's happening uh, in the industry and what companies are doing and um, you know to, to keep on top of trends. You better give us your Twitter handle uh, after saying that, then, so we can oh, uh, all follow yeah. you. 
It's very easy. It's just at Tessa Wagert. Fantastic. And is there a, a, another way that we can find out more about what you do? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not great about um, maintaining my my personal website, which is also my business website, which is just tessawagert.com. Um, but you can, re, your listeners can go there to link to my Contently um, portfolio of work, my online profile, which has probably not every single article that's ever that I've written that's ever been published, but certainly all of the recent ones, there's probably something like 500 on there right now. So that's plenty of reading material for anyone who actually is interested. They're going to um, be there weeks reading the stories. <laughs> yeah, I don't expect so. No, no, I don't think anyone wants to dig quite that deep. But um, but certainly, you know, I, I'm on Clixie every week. My, um, my column is published every Thursday on Clixie, either uh, in the media buying or the marketing strategies or social marketing um, categories. Uh, and then I do write really regularly for Contently as well. Um, and the best way probably is just to follow me on Twitter because everything that I uh, put out there and produce um, for brands or different publications, I always tweet about. And I'm always trying to, I try to uh, just tweet about a lot of other interesting industry events and news um, that I think my followers might like to to read about because it's interesting to me. So I'm sure, you know, branded films, branded content, live streaming, it's all stuff that a lot of people uh, are looking for more information on. So I, I, I do try to be pretty active and uh, share a lot of content about that as well. Tessa, thank you so much for spending the time today to share with us all of your stories. You started talking about stories and the whole mechanics of how to tell a great story. You've been telling fantastic stories all this afternoon. So thank you for that. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We've heard from just one of our experts today. But if you'd like to get the insight from all 40 of our practitioners and read what the major trends are that they think you need to know about, then download your copy of the Clixie Intelligence Digital Trends Report now. Visit clixie.com forward slash digital trends 2016 UK report to download the full report for free now. Clixie, the original digital business intelligence company founded in 1997, provides best practice advice, trends and insight from leading analysts and practitioners to a global community of more than 100,000 digital marketing and e-commerce professionals. We'll be talking to more of our experts over the next few weeks. Until then, keep up to date with Clixie. Thank you for listening and bye for now.